0: Morning, Red Point. You guys are well. It's great to see you, and uh, great to be with you. And um, we, as an eldership, went away this last weekend. Now, for two nights, we were able to be together, pray together, call out to God, ask Him to lead us into next year, and uh, what He has for us as a community. And it was just a beautiful time where we were able to unite and able to be together. And God says that that where we united, He commands a blessing, and we trust actually that as we move into next year that there will be a blessing for us as, as, a, as, a, as an eldership team and through that, us as a community as we do um, whatever God calls us to in the new year. And um, one of the words that came through, I thought it was a beautiful word, there were five concentric circles like a, like a bullseye dartboard. And, um, and the outside was community and then inside was crowd and then I can't remember what all of them were. But I could remember when I, when I first came to Red Point, I used to sit by that door there I think partly because I was high, but, but, but the other reason is I actually felt like I didn't belong here. didn't feel like I belonged to a part of this. I actually didn't feel like I belonged anywhere, to be honest. And I felt like this morning even there may be people who feel like they don't belong. They don't belong here. They don't belong at school or wherever it may be. You just feel like you don't belong. And, and I feel one of the invitations that we as, a, as an eldership would love to do is invite you into the center Invite you into the core, into the, the center of what God's doing. And it's a, it's a word that's been coming through for us. And, and we want to continue to extend that invitation. And um, Nick and Kat, it's so good to have you back. So good to, for you to be here. So good to hear you ministering. And we were away together. Oh, come on, man. And, and I found God calling us into the center. And calling us to more of who he is and what he's doing. And I was walking around on Saturday morning and, and, and or Friday, and I was overwhelmed by, by just how good God has been. First of all, he, he, he calls us into himself, into Jesus, to the center of who he is. And, and Nick and Katz and the eldership team, it's such a privilege to serve with you. Come on, man. You, you've, you've seen things in us that, Bigger than we could ever dream of. And I feel the story that we're called to is bigger than we could imagine. The kingdom of God. And I wonder where we would be now. A marriage that God's got his hand over and children. And Thank you. Lord would you come and be with us. Come and presence yourself over each person, Lord. Come and call every person into your story. Or they experience the abundance of your blessing, Lord. The abundance of your love. The abundance of your grace, your freedom, your kindness, Lord, your joy, your peace, Lord. We long for you, Jesus. We as your church, we long for you. We don't want anything else. Come and minister to us this morning, Lord. This is your word. And I ask that you would come and speak to each heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And we're continuing with the pictures of the church and um, what a beautiful series it's been where we get to, where we get to see Jesus in his different ways that he's chosen to express to us, being a family, um, being an army, a commander, a lord, and um, being a a, a bride. There's seven different pictures which we're looking at, and today I get to um, speak to us about the church being a part of the the vine, a vineyard, the vine dresser, and uh, it's a picture which we can see in John chapter 15, and if you've got your Bibles, please take out your Bibles and open up to John chapter 15. I thought seeing as if you be going through pictures of the church, it would be an idea to have some pictures. So I'm going to take us through the year of what it looks like. Pan, have you got them? First picture, we're just going to go through the seasons of the vineyard, which will just help us to get some, um, uh, the, uh, are they all in order? Is The number one there, Pan, should be spring, labeled spring. If it's not going to work, then I'm over it, and we can just go back to that other picture. Okay, just go to that other picture, Pan, it's fine, I don't want to waste too much time here um so we've got four seasons in in the life of a vine plant and uh usually one would start with spring so the top right hand corner you can see those new shoots coming out after a long winter what a beautiful picture that is and I, I wonder if we're not sensing something of that even with us coming out of COVID and and um so that's spring top right hand corner bottom left hand corner is summer Summer, there's an abundance of growth, there's fruiting, it just goes crazy, it's just life and and, and everything, it just like leaves everywhere and the fruits start forming and it's an amazing time. And then we go to the bottom right-hand corner, which is autumn, which is actually the harvest season, beautiful season where they begin to harvest all the fruits and uh, it's a a celebratory time, Um, it's actually an amazing time. And Then it goes off to winter, which is the top left-hand corner and it looks quite bare, quite dry, quite dead and quite pruned. That's the pruning season. And I just thought it's good for us to have a visual of, of what we're going to be talking about this morning. And, and you could even think about where are you actually at the moment in your season of life? Where are we as a church? God, what are you, what are you prophesying over us as a church? Is there a season change? I, I think there's a sense of a, of a change in the air, and I wonder what that new season will look like for us. But let's get into the text. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it would be even more fruitful. You are already clean or pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's command. And remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Amen. To sum this up, as a picture of the church. The father, the vine dresser, is wanting to produce fruit in the world for people to be able to eat through our union and intimacy with Jesus. That's, that's my preach. The father, the vine dresser, is wanting to produce fruit that the world can eat and he's wanting to do that through our relationship, our union, and our intimacy with Jesus. Does that make sense? That's the preach. That's what we're wanting to do. So. The father there's this picture where which i thought was quite interesting where there's the vine and the branches here and the father almost external to this relationship almost there's this there's this vine and then there's branches that come out and here's the father busy busy working on this beautiful vine this union between jesus and his bride and i think that's such a beautiful picture which i'll pick up a little bit later but the vine dresser does more than just prune and cut away the, the work starts a long time before that. He has to till the soil. He plants the seed or plants a cutting. He makes sure that there's all the right ingredients. He makes sure that it's planted at the right time so that the rains can come at the right time to produce the maximum fruit that could possibly be produced. That's the, the heart of a, of a vine dresser. But here in this passage, it says that the, the, the vine dresser does two things. He prunes away the branches that are fruitful and he cuts away those that are unfruitful. Those are the two things that he speaks about. We have the true vine, which is Jesus, and um, the word, I think why he uses the word true is because Israel was seen as a, as a vine through the Old Testament, and Psalm 80, verse 8 to 18, you can go and read it for yourself, but it says here, you cleared the ground, speaking about God, you cleared the ground for it, for this vine, and it took root and filled the land, the mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Branches reached as far as the seas. It shoots as far as the river. And then it goes on and says, the roots your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Speaking about the true vine that will come. Isaiah 5 verse 4, where Israel wasn't the true vine because they failed so often. They were meant to be this beautiful light that shines out to the world that people could come and pick from and in a sense see the kingdom of God. And it says, what more could have been done for you, my vineyard, that I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes... Why did it only yield bad? Now I'll tell you what I'm going to do, and it gets worse. That's in Isaiah chapter five. So Jesus says, "I am the true one. I'm the one that's been prophesied about from time past, and I'm here now." Then we have the branches. We have the unfruitful branches, and we have the fruitful branches. I'm going to start off with the unfruitful branches, and that's a warning to all. I think for us to check ourselves. Uh, And and one of the things, it says you can determine um, the the roots by the fruit. Actually, what's what's coming out of you determines where you're planted in. And um, Jesus says some radical things here. He says, the branches in me that are unfruitful are cut off. And I think in every church around the world, there are people that are here that actually don't belong to Jesus. I think Judas is an incredible example of that. And uh, you see him involved in the life of the church, in the life of ministry, been loved on by God, had everything he could possibly desire, but yet, as much as it seemed like he was in the vine, there was no fruit. There was actually nothing of the life of God being produced through him. Judas, his his, his falling away was quite catastrophic. You see actually that, that, that he loved money more than he loved Jesus, you cannot serve both God and money. And I think sometimes in and amongst the, the life of the church, we, we we think we can serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters because there's a time when that comes when there's a cutting away and, and either it's judgment day and sometimes it's even, even through a pruning season or you, you get to the end of a pruning season like COVID and all of a sudden you see people who were beside you beforehand that are no longer there, and you think, what happened? What happened? Where are they? Where did they go? And something of the the cutting away of God's cleaning out. It's a radical truth. You also see the truth in Scripture where those who, to every degree, it seems like the life of God is running through them. But Matthew 24, verse 12, he says, Then you'll be handed over to the persecuted, and you'll be put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. How's that? The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The one who remains grafted in will be saved. Revelations 2 verse 4, it speaks about, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. The beautiful piece here. Repent, turn away from that way and come back. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. There's a a reality here that Jesus speaks about where you wonder how have some people fallen away? How does that happen? And I myself, it's a mystery to me. I don't understand it, but, but I'm just wanting to preach what the Word says. It says that, that, that God cuts away the unfruitful branches. And 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. There is such a thing as judgment day. There is such a thing of, of the great separation between sheep and goats. There is a day that's coming where we all have to stand before the Father and He, he checks the fruits of our lives. And, and there's an invitation for us to, to test ourselves, to see, to not play away, play around with such a, such a great truth. Test yourself. Check yourself. God, is there fruit in my life? Is there something of the life? Am I abiding in Jesus? Because there's a danger that if we're not, that the Father can cut us away. And it's a scary truth. And I, I, it's the, re- the thing that I wrestled with most in this, this preach. The rest of it is beautiful. This is the tough news. But it's, it's real news. And it's news that we need to be aware of. You don't want to be in and amongst the crowd and thinking that, you, that you're, you're a part of the vine. And there's leaves. And sometimes I think what we think is fruit. is actually just leaves. It's empty. It's vain. There's, there's no substance to it. But then Jesus it invites you, and he says, actually, repent. Turn away from that. Now is the time for repentance. Now's the time to turn towards the Father. Now is the time to turn away from every other source of life that's not Jesus. And, and when you do that, I think he, there's a beautiful restoration that takes place. The fruitful vines. So the unfruitful, if you want nice little points, um, it says he cuts away or destroys. The fruitful vine, he cultivates or he disciplines. good to ask, what is fruit? And uh, there's three characteristics of fruit that I'll just talk about. And one is an apple tree produces peaches. peaches. Hey, Nick, you threw me there. No, no. Produces apples. The character of a tree will always be produced through its fruit. You can't get different character to the tree that you're trying to farm. Our vine is Jesus. The fruit is Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. The fruit that that God is looking for in our life is Christ-likeness. Are we becoming more and more like Jesus? The character of this vine is, is, I mean, the fruit of this vine is Christ-like character. Second, fruit is visible. We're not undercover secret agents that we need to hide our fruit. Fruit should be seen in our lives. If there's no fruit being seen in your life, it's probably good to check yourself. And, and I'll get to seasons, I understand seasons, and I think God does take us through seasons. We're not always fruitful, we're not just producing fruit all the time, but has there been or is there fruit in your life? Is there fruit that people can see? And, and third characteristic is that people can enjoy. Fruit is always for others. Fruit is always for others. Fruit is not, when, when, when a tree absorbs its own fruit, it rots and it dies, it's a bad thing. But, but, but when, when fruit is for others to enjoy, what do people taste from your life? When people are in your presence, do they enjoy lovely grape juice or do they enjoy sour vinegar? You know, it's good to, good to think about. Sometimes you come away from com- conversations and you think, oh, Lord, flip. Maybe there was bad vinegar in me that came out, you know. But, but God, God, people should be able to taste the good fruit of Jesus. Galatians 5 speaks about the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I thought I could just speak about love for a little bit. When people come across you as their love, I've been, I've, been, I've been stirred by the love of God. 1 Corinthians 13 speaks about if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging, cymb- clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I, if I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. How impatient I am at times. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not easily proud. I mean, it's not proud. It does not dishonor others. How's that, eh? Our chirping culture. It does not dishonor others. Um, Sorry, I lost my place there. Um, It's not self seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Jesus, help us. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there's tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. Is there fruit in your life? Is there love in you? I, I at times feel quite, quite dry of love, if I can be honest. I, I don't want to talk to you, <laughs> or whatever it may be. But, but is there love in you? God, would you do this in us? And I love that Jesus is the ultimate picture of that true love. It's not a to-do list It's an abiding in, and it produces through. So how is fruit produced in us? two ways, two ways. One, pruning. And uh, I've been amazed. I've been watching some, some um, vineyard videos and the difference between pruning and cutting off is about that much. It's about that much. I've actually been amazed at how close they cut to the base. They literally, they cut off everything, but they leave a bud, which then shoots again and becomes the fruitful branch for the next year. And I'm like, sure, Lord, pruning is tough. Sometimes it's like, how do you know the difference between pruning and cutting off? My thoughts is, actually, are you back again? Is there a shoot that comes again? After difficulty, will you come again? Will you be here again? When there's, when there's devastation in your life, will you say, Lord, I'm here again? I think that's the difference between pruning and cutting off. Cutting off, you'll leave. Pruning, you'll, you'll come back again and say, Lord, yo, I feel like everything's been taken, but I'm here again. I'm, I'm, I'm abiding into you again. I'm drawing from you again. And then a shoot comes again. And it's like, whoa, new life after a dry winter. Pruning. The Father prunes so that we would be more fruitful. I love that. He doesn't just let us, but, but he wants more fruit from us. He wants more. There was a word that accelerates. The, the, he's taking us further into himself and into the kingdom. The reason that the vine is growing is for fruit. And uh, pruning is not complicated. a pair of sharp scissors that cuts off and it seems like everything's gone. <laughs> it's tough. It's easy, but it's really difficult. Pruning, anyone who's gone through a pruning will know. I, I was thinking about Mike and Megs while I was preparing for this. Mike, with your knee, I just thought, sure, Megs with your nevel passing away. And I just thought, man, a pruning season. And I actually thought, man, there's more fruit for you guys. There's more fruit for you in the season that's coming up. And, and I trust that even as you work through the difficulty of this, that there's more fruit and an abundance of life that comes. And for all of us that go through it. And the Father uses discipline or hardship to prune us. And we can see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. And because the Lord disciplines the ones He loves, and He chastens everybody that He accepts as His Son, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? No discipline, no pruning seems pleasant at the time, but painful, it's cutting off. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who have been trained by it. Isn't that incredible? The Father will take you through difficulty. He'll take you through hardship. He will allow you to go through it. Why? Because it's gonna cut away some of the things that are not needed and concentrate you into the life of Christ. Nobody says, I've, I found Jesus on the best, most successful times of my life. It's in the valley that you find Jesus where you graft in tighter to him, where he becomes most personal to you, to you, and, you, and, you and you seek him with all of your heart. It's in those difficult times that he, that he does his best work inside of us in the dark and hidden and wilderness places. where it seems dry and barren and I feel empty and there's nothing on me and it feels like everything that I've had has been taken away. It's there that you find Jesus. It's there that you bond in closer to the vine. It's there that he does his best work. Pruning is only for a season. So first one, the father uses discipline. And I know some people have worked through extremely difficult Situations, and I don't in any way want to say that that pruning is easy. It is extremely difficult, but it is the most it is the most important time in a se- in a sense because it's it's bringing you into a fruitful season. And I felt that some of you may have been going through a long winter month, long winter season. It feels like like actually I've been I've been I've been feeling barren for an, an, an insane amount of time. And I, I actually felt God wanted to, to bring a change of season. I think even something of, of the worship this morning is the, the budding's beginning. And, and lift up your hands in your, in your dry season. Lift up your arms. Lift up your, 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 your receptors, as was said this morning, to Jesus and watch him bring a change of season. Continue to worship, even in the desert, even in the winter, and God will bring a change of season. Second thing, pruning is only a season. There's a defined time that the Father takes you through. You won't always be pruned. There will be a summer that comes. There will be a spring, and there will be an autumn, a harvest that we all get to enjoy in. Third thing, the pruning season is often the most difficult time which I've spoken about, but it's the time when you're most strengthened into the vine. Incredibly important. So one, God uses discipline and hardship. Two, only for a season. The season will change. Three, it's the most difficult but often the most important time because spring comes and fruitfulness comes. I think the thing I love most, and I'll go back to that picture where there's this vine and there's this, these branches, which is a picture of us. And then there's, there's the Father busy working on this unique union, this beautiful relationship between us and our Lord. And I love that it's, in a sense, it's external. And I, I, I'm not going to open this up overly theologically. They are always one. But I love that, that we face external circumstances all the time. There's things going on around us. There's difficulty, there's hardship, there's business, there's family, there's all of these things. But when you are in the, the hands of the vine dresser, the husbandman, you can be 100% sure that everything that he's doing is for the good of the, the relationship between you and your Jesus and for the fruit that will come. That is incredibly encouraging to me. No matter what you're going through, when you're in the vine, you can be 100% sure of the sovereign hands of your vine dresser to be working every circumstance to, to your union with Jesus and to the fruit that will come. Incredible truth that you can walk through with such confidence and such boldness because you're, you're in the hands of the vine dresser. So he prunes us. The second thing is by Abiding. By dwelling, by remaining, by staying, by being, by living in and living with, by not moving, by hanging out, hanging out with Jesus. When you go to work, you hang out with Jesus, and Jesus hangs out with you. He dwells with you. There's no separation between you and him. And uh, I was joking with tools, and I said, tools, if you get up on keys and play in the background, I'll do, I'll do a Southern, Southern Baptist American, you know, like a big, strong black guy who preaches with gusto, and he's got that rough voice, because there's, there's an analogy that I heard that's changed the way that I make tea. Who makes tea here? Who, who drinks tea? Are there, got any tea drinkers? Nobody, is there anyone who doesn't drink tea here? Heathens. <laughs> Heathens. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Okay, do you guys drink like... like a French press coffee at least. Yes. Okay. So we'll use two pictures here. I want to bring everybody into the story, you know, but, uh, but this guy, he says something beautiful and I love it. And he says, uh, when you, when you make tea, you don't, you don't, you don't dip the bag and then bring it out and then dip the bag and then bring it out and then dip the bag. And then you got to take your spoon and you put your tea bag on there and you got to wrap your string around and you got to squeeze it down. You don't do that when you make tea. How do you make tea? You pour the hot water and you put your tea bag in and you abide, is how he says it. (laughs) How long? Tools, four minutes, eh? Four minutes. But for us, always, we abide. Every time you go and make a tea, we don't dip. We don't dip. We don't come into Sunday and then leave and go into Tuesday and then leave. We abide, we dwell. We stay, we remain in Jesus so that the water and the tea bag flow through one another and the water transforms. There's amazing transformation that takes place when we abide. It's a lot more work to dip, 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 wrap, 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 squeeze. You're gonna run yourself dry and you won't make it. Abide. And the same thing with the French press. Same story. Abide in Him. J.C. Ryle says, to abide in Christ means to keep a habit of constant close communion with him, to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him, and using him as our fountain of life and strength, and our chief companion and best friend. To have his words abiding in us is to keep his sayings and his precepts continually before our memories and our minds, and to make them guide our actions and rule our daily conduct and behavior. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful. Abide. And I think we can go even further than that and we can say abide in the love of God. Abide in the love of God and and John chapter 15 speaks about that. And um, I just thought I'd speak about three things there. Sorry, my voice is getting a bit dry. See, I hope you remember that. One, how do we abide in the love of God? Our daily practices. Psalm 10 verse four said, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. Challenged by that. In your day, in our pride, we only don't seek him when we don't need him. When we feel like we've got all that we need, but when we're when we empty and, and, and desperate, I think there's incredible room for God. Psalm 63 says, You God, oh my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there's no water. On my bed I remember you and I think of you through the watches of the night. Daily, we're seeking him. We're creating space. We're creating time to, to sit under the love of our Father. Every morning, if I don't, I find myself wandering through the day, but I want to sit under you, Jesus. And this is my son. I, I, I clothe myself in Christ. This is my, my son who, who I love and, and who I'm well pleased, or another translation could say, who I delight in. Lord, you delight in me. I don't feel like I deserve this, but, but you say because I'm in Jesus that, that you delight in me and I receive your delight this morning, Lord, again before I start my day. Francois said something interesting. He says, look in the mirror, and it's a bit weird, and I, I tried it the other day. It was a bit weird, but he says, actually, you are worthy of love because the Father says that, that I love you and I care for you. He says you can, you can speak that over you because that's what he says about you. You can, you can live in, in your daily practices, you can take a day and revel in the love of God. Would you, would you, would you I don't wanna use the word soak because it can get a bit weird, but would you, would you enjoy, would you let his love wash over you and, and his enjoyment of you? And you read the scriptures and it says that the, the Holy Spirit pours out his love into our hearts and, and pray, God, would you, would you fill me with your love? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you again let me, let me live in your love? I wanna abide in you. Because when I abide in you, fruit comes. Fruit comes. Jesus is loved by the Father. Amazing, he's loved by the Father. He says, as the Father has loved me, I love you. I love you. I care for you. I'm concerned about you. I love you. As I have loved you, go and love one another. The fruit of God working through us as as we seek him. Second one, we are fearless. We are fearless when we are in the love of God. I think, I think we can be so governed by fear in life. We can be so governed by the circumstances that we find ourselves in that we, I don't feel like we're being as fruitful as we could be. But it says that perfect love, when you're, when you're in the perfect love of the Father, it casts out all fear. All fear, which means that you are not fearful about circumstance, about situations, about the future, but you're in the perfect love of the Father, and because of that, He can produce fruit through you. And and I think that's so incredible that but I think we 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 often move out of the love of God. And instead of of, of faith driving our lives because we know that we're in the hands of a good father, fear and, and doubts land up land up um, driving our lives, we make our decisions based around fear rather than around faith and, and, and the goodness of our Father. And when we do live in, in faith, receiving the love of God, I think it makes us compete, completely fearless. Often I've thought courage is this, this thing that you need to stir up within yourself. No, you'll be courageous when you're, when you're fully satisfied in the love of God. Nothing will scare you. Nothing will produce fear in you when you settle in the love of God. I have to think about this often, and there's a story which I've loved. The prodigal son has been just just something that I've been working through so much, and there's a son who who says, Dad, actually, I don't want you. I want what you have. I wish you were dead. Give me what you have, rather. That's essentially what he says to him. He says, I'm going to take what you have, and I'm going to go and do my own thing which is every person in the world. The, God has given us creation. He's given us the world. He's given us work. He's given us the ability to do good things. He's, he's, and he, in a sense, he's, he's given us what we want. And we've gone and squandered it. We've done what we've wanted to, with it. It gets to a point where there's a famine, where there's emptiness, and we've sought everything that we could, and there's nothing left. It can't give us any more. And this, this son comes to this place where he, he says, actually, even my, the servants, the least of the least in my father's household, they have food to be able to eat. They have something for, for themselves. And ah, here I am, I can't even, I ah, long teeth, but the pigs are eating. So what does he do? He turns around, and he goes home towards his father. And, and it says that his father sees him while he's still a long way off. And it says that his father runs to him, picks up his robe, and he runs to him. And he meets him, and he embraces him, and he kisses him, and Grabbed my face yesterday, and he kissed me. I nearly fell over, but but like I I kissed, he kissed his boy, and he says, "Welcome home." And I've thought about why why the father ran, why the father ran out to meet his his son, and 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 in some ways I think it's because of his love that his sons finally returned. But I, I was told about another reason that I'd never thought about before, and it says actually that that the people, the community, that son had so disgraced his father that he was worthy of death worthy of death. And the people had every right to stone him. Actually, they had every right to stone him. And his father runs out to meet him, to embrace him, to say, this is how I choose to receive my son. And he humbles himself. He sends himself out. He, He goes out and meets him, and he clothes him with a robe of righteousness. And he says, this is my son. He is, he is deserving of death, but I've chosen to receive him back. I've chosen to redeem him. I've chosen to put my robe of righteousness around him, a, a, a ring on his finger. I'm, I'm choosing to celebrate, to, to, to kill a fattened calf and to celebrate actually. And I love that picture. For you who are far off, turn to your father this morning. Turn back to him and let him, let him run out to you and embrace you and kiss you and, and pour his love out over you. And to you who, who, and to us and to me, who are in the Father's house. I find myself turning around away every day. And even in my mind in the day, I say, Lord, I'm turning towards you and I'm, I'm being covered by your robe again. And every accusation that I'm worthy of, I choose, actually, it's got, no, it's got no hold on me because I'm standing under your robe of righteousness. I know that I'm worthy of death, but I'm in you. I'm clothed by you. And, and every accusing, accusation of the law and of the enemy and of the devil means nothing because I'm in you. And I choose to stand in your abundant love for me. And, and from that place, what happens? You can only love. You can only love. When you've, when you've received the love and the forgiveness of your father, what's going to come out of you? Love. You're going to want to love and embrace and receive those who don't deserve it. Because Jesus did the same thing for you and for me. I'm not worthy of any love. I'm not worthy of my actions leave me completely guilty before the Father. And, and nobody deserves our love either. But what happens is the love of Christ begins to work through me and to others. And others can receive the love of God. We love because He first loved us. Love our Paul says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. And I love this. How's this next passage? And it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. When we live in the abundant love of God, when we embrace it, it's amazing that God does. It says here, immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Actually, the glory all goes to him. The abundant life all goes to him. Amen.